This, um, this past, past month at Humeridge, we've been um, going through a, a focus series, um, trying to, as a church, recenter and refocus on what we believe to be uh, core and foundational uh, to the life of a Christian. This uh, series started with Roscoe directing us to, to set our eyes, our attention on the cross and look at the humility of our Saviour. Then we had Brendan encouraging us to look up with faith and expectancy. Uh, Jen, who I, I will call mum because I'm afraid of her, um, <laughs> she followed, this, uh, followed after this uh, and, and encouraged us um, to be looking around, uh, looking at one another in faith-filled unity. And then last week, Brendan reminded us the importance of looking back looking back at the faithfulness of God uh, and looking back um, to encourage those who are behind us in their walk of faith. If you've missed any of these uh, messages, uh, they're all online, so you can go back and, and have a listen again, because today um, what we're going to do is we're going to pick up and we're going to start uh, looking forward to the hope that we have. And as I do, I'm going to ask one question, uh, and I deleted it from my notes, so it's going to come up behind us, but, but I want to ask this question, where is your hope? Before we start anything, have a bit of a ponder. Where is your hope? Randy Alcorn tells a story. Um, in, the 19, in 1952, a young lady by the name of Florence Chadwick set out to become the first woman to swim from Catalina Island in the Pacific Ocean uh, to the uh, shore of mainland California. Florence had already been the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways and so decided that this would be her next challenge. On the morning that she set out, the weather was chilly and foggy. In fact, it was so foggy that at times she was unable to see the boats that were going along with her. In the later stages of the swim, she began to beg to be taken out of the water. But her mother, who was sitting in one of the boats next to her, encouraged her to keep on going. She was so close she could still make it. Finally, after 15 hours, both physically and emotionally exhausted, Florence threw in the towel and she stopped swimming. It wasn't until she was pulled out of the boat that she could see that the shore was less than half a mile away. She had swum four, uh, 34 and a bit of the 35 kilometer swim. At a news conference the next day, she said, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. So friends, this is my hope for today. That for a few moments uh, this morning, we would lift our eyes off of the immediate, off of the seemingly important issues of our lives, off the fog of busyness, and instead look towards the shore, towards an ultimate hope and an ultimate destination to look towards eternity. And I think this is something that we, uh, we actually don't do quite enough, uh, and we certainly don't do it as, as much as the authors of the, the New Testament encourage us to. They encourage us to look at all things, all things in light of eternity, with a perspective that includes eternity. And contrary to the old fear that this might make us lazy or disengaged from the world around us, they actually present that this will make us more energetic and more effective in the work that God has given us to do. If we could just occasionally glimpse the shore. 
we could run the race that is set before us with endurance and hope. So before we get there, let's, let's do some more praying. Dear Father, I want to thank you so much uh, for this morning, uh, Lord, for the celebration that it's been so far, Lord, for, for the words that Peter uh, brought, um, and Lord, for, for Lizzie. Um, Father, right now I pray that as we come and we uh, listen to what you've got to say through your word, Lord, that uh, you would speak uh, and you'd give us ears to, to hear, Lord. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In the 2020-2021, uh, that's a difficult thing to say quickly, the National Survey uh, of Mental Health and Wellbeing in Australia found that two out of five, that is 44% of Australians, had experienced a mental health disorder at some point in their life. 40% of people aged 16 to 24 had a mental health disorder that lasted for at least 12 months. And almost a third of people aged 16 to 24 had a 12-month anxiety disorder. This stat rose to 41% when it was just confined to females. And unfortunately, two in five, that is 38% of people, had been close to somebody who had taken or attempted to take their life. These statistics are, are rising, they're alarming, and they are disproportionately affecting young people in our community. And I think that these statistics are in part, in part, due to an increasing rise in hopelessness in our culture, to, a, to an increasing rise in a lack of meaning and purpose. And so more than ever, we as a church need to know and hold and be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. We need to know and experience it for ourselves so that we might be able to show and share it to those in our world who are desperately needing it. So as we, as we jump into the passage today, which is 1 Peter 1, we're going to look at three things, three things that, that 1 Peter is, is drawing us to. The first is that in suffering... Misplaced hope will lead to sorrow. In suffering, well-placed hope will lead to perseverance. And finally, that ultimate hope will lead to a life of joy and good works in spite of suffering. So let's read with me. 1 Peter 1, uh, verse 3. According to his great mercy, he has called us to be, caused us to be sorry, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be uh, revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Friends, today let's, let's take hold of these promises that anyone who would accept Jesus as saviour has a hope in an inheritance that cannot be stolen, that cannot, be, uh, that cannot fade or diminish. And it is being guarded by the God of all power. I think it's pretty safe. And it is for us to enjoy for all of eternity. So just for a moment, let's, let's seek to ponder that. In our, in our finite state, uh, our tiny brains really struggle with the concept of eternity. I think that's pretty fair to say. Um, but let's, let's try for a moment to, to grasp what's being promised here. 
that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and it is already ready for us. And I encourage you uh, to, to seek to hold on to this thought as we go into to the rest of, of the, uh, the, the morning, because Peter calls us to rejoice in this hope. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. In amongst uh, a passage of beautifully written encouragements um, and hope, we find this little statement. If now, uh, though now, sorry, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And this is actually setting up one of the, the central points of Peter's whole letter. It's, it's a theme that's picked up throughout the whole letter of 1 Peter. Peter is trying to encourage the churches of Asia Minor to hold fast to faith, to look to hope, uh, to look to their hope for eternity in the midst of a coming suffering. Because he knows that suffering in this life is coming. He says later in chapter 4 this, Beloved, do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Do not be surprised when, not if. And I think this is a message that we, uh, we need to hear afresh today. Do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you. Friends, uh, suffering and hurt, uh, trial and pain uh, un are unavoidable, unavoidable uh, in this life. That is for, for all people at all times, everywhere. But let's not miss who uh, this, this letter was addressed to. It's not addressed to everyone. It's addressed specifically to Christians. We have a, we have a bit of a problem talking about uh, our suffering or our trials in the Western church. And I think uh, in Australia, we rightly assess that we've got it pretty good. Many of us uh, have more than we need. We aren't worried about where our next, next meal may come from. And we're, we're not persecuted for our faith. And so many of us have been blessed more than we, we often acknowledge. But Peter's warning here is as much for us as it was for the churches back then. And I think for us to ignore this warning would be to our own detriment. Because far from this letter being a, a pity party or a chance uh, for us to say, woe is me, let's take a moment to acknowledge that, that Peter is presenting a truth. And it's, it's for our encouragement and for our strengthening. The truth is that to follow Christ is to expect a unique and specific set of trials and suffering. Quite contrary to the televangelist who promises that if you follow God, you will be healthy, wealthy, and wise. The, the gospel of Christ is that to follow Jesus in this life is to expect more difficulty and not less. Jesus says that if you would like to follow him, you must lose your life and take up your cross. The symbol of, of suffering and death and follow him. He is the worst salesman of all time. Can we agree? Do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you. Why? Because we do not wrestle with, with flesh and, and blood. No, Peter writes that we have uh, an adversary. 
The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And we, we struggle with this one as well. But would we believe that, that we actually have an adversary? Someone who is going to do everything he can to get us to take our eyes off our hope. And suffering is one of his weapons. Tim Keller, in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, offers some categories uh, that will help us ground this idea of trials. He categorizes trials and suffering as one of four things. The first is suffering caused by our own failures. The second is suffering of betrayal, suffering of loss, and the suffering of mystery. That is an unexplained or senseless suffering. And I think as a moment, as we, as we read through that list, um, we can relate to one or more of these things. That there are times when we are confronted by our own sinful brokenness. And I'm not talking about the little flaws either, like a quick snappy comment or something that you're like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. No, I'm talking about the, the moments where you have said or done something that even surprised you with its ugliness. Or maybe it's, it's a breakdown of friendship or of relationship. Someone you loved, someone you should have been able to trust and count on until all of a sudden you couldn't. It's the loss of a job, the loss of fin financial security, loss of feelings of safety. It's a loss of a loved one. And then finally we come to a, a senseless suffering. Tragedy. Mass shooting, natural disasters, the atrocity of war, children dying from disease and starvation. We experience and feel each of these things at different points in our life. And if we're not experiencing it now, we will in the future. So we need to hold firm to this promise. Because for some people, this seems to be felt more often and more intense than others. And when this happens to us, there is something that, that cries deep within us that this should not be this way. There shouldn't be this kind of suffering. We know deep down that something is amiss. And in these moments, we ask, either ourselves or others, if God is all good and all powerful, why does he allow this suffering to happen? If God is all good and all powerful, then how could he let this happen? And that is a good question. It's a good question. And I, it is something that I believe that as Christians we will continue to struggle with. And it is one that I believe that Christianity and the Bible has good answers for. And I vote that these answers should be provided in a mini-series by Pastor Neil later in the year. Yeah, good. We've got a second. Good. Thank you. Thank you. But in short, our faith affirms the feeling that the world is not as it should be. The Bible presents that the world and, and creation uh, was originally good, very good. Everything worked how it was supposed to. That is until through the actions of man, sin entered the world and it infected everything. All of a sudden, God's perfect creation and all of humankind was subjected to the destructive power of sin. The message of the Bible affirms what we already know, that things are not how they are meant to be. 
Pain and suffering are not how things are meant to be. Kids are not meant to suffer with illness. Relationships are not meant to break down. Natural disasters and mass suffering are not how things are meant to be. And the hurt and the pain and the anger that we feel at such things is only a fraction. It's only a fraction of the pain and the anger that God holds towards the sin that has done this to his creation. Let me say that again. The hurt and the pain and the anger that we experience is only a fraction of the pain and anger that God holds towards the sin that has done this to his creation. The same sin that has infected us. So the rest of the Bible presents the story of God's unfolding plan to redeem his people, a people for himself, so that in the end, when he comes back to destroy sin, we may be saved. But friends, we live in a time before that end. We are swimming in the fog of a life guaranteed to be uncomfortable, to be full of trials. And we so often do not see or understand why God could be allowing this to happen. And whilst we may not understand, Peter points us to the shore, to something that will strengthen our faith. In this hope, you now rejoice, though now for a little while, which, by the way, is the least specific time frame anybody could give, though now for a little while. Thank you, Peter. Uh, some scholars actually think that that is uh, the, the period of time between when Jesus ascended uh, and when he comes back. So it's at least 2,000 years. Um, so thanks, Peter. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If necessary. These might be two of the uh, most difficult words in the Bible. If you're in the midst of some hard stuff or you look back at the hardest points in your life, um, those two words are going to be pretty hard to swallow. Why on earth would that have been necessary? Peter presents, so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to be more precious than refined gold. Let's, let's picture a, a block of gold uh, together. Um, why is gold passed, passed through a fire? So that the, the little impurities in the gold may be burnt away. In this process, uh, nothing is added to the gold, but as these little bits of sediment and rubbish are burnt away, the value of the gold increases as it is stripped down to its purest form. Likewise, in a mystery that I do not claim to fully understand, Peter is saying that there is something that happens only through fiery trials that improves our faith that shows the inadequacy of all other objects of hope. During deep personal struggle, the things of this world, whether it be comfort, pride, money, power, and success, these are shown to be pointless objects of hope. As we reflect on, on our deepest regret, as we are grieved over the loss of a loved one, as we battle with chronic illness, and as we sit at the end of our life, these things will prove themselves unworthy of our ultimate hope. 
But this does not mean we do not have hope. Because just as a fire refines gold, so our hope is in eternity is refined as we go through suffering. Tim Keller says this, what if, what if in the future we came to see that Jesus could not have displayed such glory and love any other way except through his own suffering? And that we would not have been able to experience such transcendent joy, glory, and love any other way except by going through a world of suffering. And why could it not be that our future glory will so swallow the evil of the past that in some unimaginable way, even the memory of evil won't darken our hearts, but only make us happier? I really like that quote. Why could it not be so? And it leads quite, quite nicely into what Peter is actually saying in this passage. What Peter does in this passage is he holds uh, together two things that we really struggle to hold simultaneously. You know when you have two magnets and they're, they're the opposing ends and you're like jamming them together and then it doesn't quite work, uh, but then you kind of off-center it and it clicks together? Peter has figured out how to do that, that little shift that clicks it together. He at once holds in one hand the joy and the hope and in the other, he holds together pain and suffering and he's, he brings them together in a way that, that doesn't, downplay, it doesn't downplay pain and suffering, but it does not for a second diminish the bigness or the brightness of the hope and the joy that we have. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. In that you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And Peter is not the only one to do this in the Bible. The Apostle Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians, um, writes this in, in, verse eight, uh, in chapter 1, verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. This is the, the Apostle Paul. He's the, the terminator of the early church, not in a bad way, but in the good way when he becomes good. Um, or maybe in both ways, because he did a bit of both. Um, but this, this is the, the Apostle Paul. He was so utterly burdened that he despaired of life itself. This is a raw and real and deeply felt thing. And he refuses to downplay it. But then three chapters later, he goes on to refer to this same instance of suffering as a light and momentary affliction. He holds these two things together because he, like Peter, knew in whom he trusted, in whom he hoped. Jesus, on the night before he was crucified, in one of the most human moments that we see, is pleading with the Father. And we read this, and being in agony, he prayed all the more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And being in agony. This is the one that we follow as the son of God. And he is in intense sorrow and anguish. And yet in Hebrews we read, it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, despising its shame. 
Here at the cross, we, we see the ultimate example of these two things coming together. This is how uh, Paul and Peter can call us to endure because they knew that on the cross, on the cross, Jesus endured the most intense spiritual and relational suffering in order to secure us our joy. On the cross, Jesus the Son was separated from God the Father. The Father's love was brutally stripped away from him. On the cross, as Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was because God had forsaken him. Christ was forsaken by the author and sustainer of life, the lover of his soul, so that you and I might not have to be. He experienced the weight of God's judgment on sin, the sin of anyone who would put his, their faith in him. And the physical suffering of being brutal, uh, beaten and executed would have been but a pinprick in comparison to the crushing agony of his soul as he was torn away from the heart of the Father. This is what Christ suffered so that we might not have to. We do not worship a God who stands back as we uh, struggle and suffer, but we worship a God who would enter into that kind of suffering on our behalf. Tim Keller says this, on the cross, Jesus experienced cosmic rejection and pain that exceeds anything we will face. God has wounds. In our experience of suffering, anger, rage, and agony, God is right there holding us in the injustice, weeping with us. In his book, Gentle and Lowly, uh, Dane Ortlund talks about the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. The heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. And he writes this. The cumulative testimony of the four gospels is that when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world around him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move towards that sin and suffering and not away from it. Contrary to what we expect to be the case, therefore, the deeper into weakness and suffering and testing we go, the deeper into Christ's solidarity with us. As we go into pain and anguish, we will descend ever deeper into Christ's very heart and not away from it. Look to Christ. He deals gently with you. It is the only way he knows how to be. What would change if we, if we believed that? If we, if we actually believed that? That in our disappointment, in our moments of hurt, in our despair, that we were not separated from the love of Christ, but we were being beckoned ever deeper into it. What would change if we believed that? Paul's hope doesn't finish there either. The hope that he and Peter have for us do, does not finish there. We see in these, in these three passages, we were utterly burdened beyond our strength. We despaired of life. We felt like we received the death sentence, but, but that was made, meant, I shouldn't have looked into the light, I can't see anymore. Um, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. For in this light and momentary affliction, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. 
For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In each of these cases, in each of these passages, they point to the fact that this life is not all there is. Each time they point to a hope that they have beyond death, a hope of glory that is beyond all comparison. Last year, I, uh, I ran a half marathon. I'm not a lover of long distance running. Uh, in fact, I would say that I am a hater. Uh, but I thought it would be a good challenge, so I decided that I would, I would give it a crack. I trained for months. I downloaded a little running program on my phone and I ate well. Um, and I was training up until the week of the event, and then a COVID outbreak happened. Uh, and so they, they rescheduled the event, knowing uh, that I could not hope to maintain my level of fitness uh, for another month. I decided that I was still going still gonna to run the race on the Saturday that I'd planned to. And so I, I set out a route around Brisbane uh, that was approximately 21 Ks. And on the Saturday morning, I set out. And I knew approximately the time that I was aiming for. So I, I, asked, I asked that uh, Jesse, uh, David, and Jess uh, would be at the finish line uh, waiting for me uh, with four Macca's hash browns and two Gatorades. And so I set out. And I ran 21 kilometers. And as I ran, there were times that I absolutely hated it. It was painful, there were hills, and I did not enjoy it. There were other moments where, where I got a second wind, and I was like, yeah, I can do this. This is good. This is good. But the thing that got me through was knowing at the end of the 21 kilometers, there were hash browns, <laughs> and there was Gatorade. There were two great people and a place to sit, and the joy of knowing that I would never have to run again. The only reason that I kept running with any purpose, with any direction was because I knew that there was something after the run. There was a place where I could rest my legs and I could eat delicious food. Friends, the same is true of us today. There is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. And we have confidence because we know that Jesus not only died in our place, but three day, days later, he kicked a hole at the back of death and he calls us to follow him through it. This is the hope that we have. This is the joy that was set before Jesus as he endured the cross. The whole reason he came was so that we may be made whole again, that we might enjoy and be enjoyed by the one who are the only one who has ever really perfectly loved our soul. The only one whose love and affection really matters, that we might stand with our creator and our savior. And he might say, oh my beloved, welcome home. Welcome to a place where pain and suffering have been destroyed, where faith and hope are no longer needed where endurance and perseverance are only found in the tales of old. 
welcome home, where I will lavish my blessing upon you forever. That's our hope. That's our hope as we run this race. So keep running. Keep on pushing. It is always too early to throw in the towel. In verse 13, Peter says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Setting your hope on eternity will not make you lazy. It will not make you less effective. It will give you a joy and a hope and an endurance to step into the work that God is calling you into. So as the, the band comes out, I would just ask, like to ask you that question again. Where is your hope set? Because there is coming a day for each of us when this life is at its end. And I want you to be honest with yourself. If the things that you are hoping in are confined to this world, on that day, will that be good enough? Or is it time to consider a hope in something more? The hope that Lizzie has. And if that's you, I'd encourage you to, to have a chat, to, to go check out the baptism book. To, to make a leap because Jesus' heart is running towards you. If your hope is in that day, in, your hope is in the shore, but you struggle to keep your eyes off of the fog of life, maybe you need to ask yourself the question, what can I do to remind myself to look forward? Maybe it's committing uh, a promise of scripture to your mind. Owning one of God's promises for yourself. Maybe if, if you'd like, with me we can re remember this one. I don't think I put it up on the slide, so you have to listen. After you have suffered a little while, this is the end of Peter, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I, uh, I thank you so much for the reminder. Uh, I thank you so much for uh, the reminder of, of our hope. Lord, we know that uh, you are not distant in the trial. Uh, you are not standing back, but you are with us and feeling what we feel. Lord, I, I pray for those of us today who, uh, who feel like our eyes have been uh, so clouded over by the fog that we, we have lost hope. Lord, that you would give us a moment uh, today uh, to see the shore, that we would uh, continue running or swimming with endurance and perseverance. Lord, that our hope would be on uh, our eternity with you. I thank you for that promise. I thank you for the assurance that you have given us um, in that, Lord. We want to pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.